Sales Tuners, Episode 75. Scott Ingram, Strategic Account Manager at Relationship One. If you don't believe in your solution, there's no way that you can transfer that belief to somebody else and get them excited and, and make a sale. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Ernest Hemingway, who said there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. Today, I'm joined by Scott Ingram, Strategic Account Manager at Relationship One, an Oracle Marketing Cloud Systems Integrator. Scott says his passion lives at the intersection of marketing, sales, and technology, and getting to serve his clients on a daily basis is what drives him. When he's not in an active sales cycle, Scott deconstructs world-class sales performers as the host of the Sales Success Stories podcast, where he talks to reps that have made it to the top 1% at their respective companies. Sales tuners, I need your help. We're now 75 episodes into this show, and while I've heard great things from many of you, I want to make sure I'm delivering exactly what it is you want to hear. I've put together a very short listener survey that I hope you'll help me with. It shouldn't take you any longer than two minutes, but if you go to salestuners.com survey, you can tell me what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of, and what kind of products and services you sell, and so forth. So what do you say? Can you spare two minutes today to help me make this show better for you? To add some incentive, I will be giving away my new Sales Tuners t-shirts and stickers to 10 listeners who complete the survey, again, at salestuners.com survey. All right. Make sure you stick around to the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 75. But now, let's get to the conversation, where Scott talks about both sides of inspiration that he sees in sales. The motivation for me, I've sort of boiled down when I think about my why, it's inspiration squared. So I love being inspired by the stories of obviously the sellers that I interview. I love being inspired by the the success that I work to create with my clients. And on the flip side, I always work to kind of lead from the field and be an inspiration to others. So whether that might be for my clients or my colleagues or others in the sales community. So it's it's really about uh, the inspiration and wanting to grow uh, and also watching others who are growing uh, around me. It's a lot of fun. I like that. And just real quick on the personal side, I understand you used to also teach spin classes at the Y down there in Austin. Is that right? I, I did for for quite a few years, about six years, and I, I quote unquote reti- retired a number of years back. Uh, but I just recently uh, got a Peloton bike, and I know I just know the way that I'm wired. I'm very competitive. I'm very metrics driven, and that thing has all the stuff that I actually always wanted in my classes to be able to see the output and and what the folks in my class were actually producing. So I am having a blast uh, with, with that and on it almost every morning. 
I have a cycle ops trainer at my house and it's the same thing as you. Like I'm competitive and motivated. Like I want to get that. I have just haven't pulled the trigger on it, but like I just get bored sitting there on the Cyclops. I love being able to ride indoors, but to be able to have, like you said, those metrics and just the different things to look at, I think would, uh, would get me even more motivated to get up and get on that bike in the morning. You, you got to do it. One word, leaderboard. All right. All right. I will take a look. Well, Scott, as you know, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. But I want to start and understand your sales process today. What is Relationship One and, and why does a typical customer buy from you? Relationship One, I I spent a good chunk of time. I joined Eloqua pre-IPO, worked with them through their acquisition by Oracle as they became really the cornerstone of what is now the Oracle Marketing Cloud. And Relationship One really was my go-to partner back in those days. I would bring them into a client to help them be successful as they were implementing that marketing automation solution. So we are a strategy firm. We do a lot of work in, in kind of what's driving the use of technology and what sort of business results we're trying to drive with the technology. And then we're also doing a lot of the implementation, the integration, the, the very technical work uh, behind that. And clients are typically coming to us exactly for the reason that I brought Relationship One in when I was working with those clients is we're making an investment in a piece of technology that we have particular goals and desires with. Uh, and, and you have to manage the strategy, the change management, and just the overall kind of training and adoption of that technology. And uh, that's typically what we're working through. Well, I loved the research that I was doing for this show because it was a nice blast from the past. Uh, you and I overlapped at Oracle only by about a month or six weeks uh, before you you kind of went on to your next venture. But I also, the company that I ran sales for, uh, Compendium, was also acquired by Oracle and as a part of that uh, Oracle Marketing Cloud. So to go in and see Eloqua and Compendium and Blue Kai and all that, uh, like I said, it was a nice blast from the past and I had some fun with that. Now, Scott, you haven't always been the salesperson that you are today. So to take me way back, how did you actually get into or break into the world of sales? I don't know that I broke into it. It kind of broke onto me. I started my first company when I was 19 years old. I started a company called Gray Matter Technologies, which was really fun many years later when I was catching up on Breaking Bad because that <laughs> was the name of the of the fictional company that Walter White uh, worked for and, and got all kind of jaded around. Um, so, you know, I started this company. Well, it turns out you don't really have a business if you don't have clients and you can't make sales. So I very quickly had to learn how to be able to sell. And that's that's really how it all started. I ran that company that was in Orange County. I was still in California at the time, ran that for five years and built up enough of a clientele and enough of a network that when we decided to essentially cash out of California at the time and move to Austin, I literally made three phone calls and sold the company. Now, wow. there's a little bit more work after you make those phone calls, but that's uh, that's kind of how that went. That happened. And then once I came to Austin, um, after a little bit, I more or less settled into a much more kind of traditional individual contributor type sales role. Because what I realized is while I enjoyed running that company and doing all of those things, it was there was just so much stuff around the delivery and managing other consultants and everything else that was going on. And I just loved the sales piece. And so to be in a position where that's what I'm able to focus on solely and, and have 
be surrounded by a great delivery team and a great technology and people working through those pieces uh, has, has been a great position for me. So it was the entrepreneurship piece that got you in for the first time, but now you've just made that switch over to wanting to be the salesperson at a company where everything else is actually being done once you make the sale. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. I, I kind of, I, I feel you, right? So like I've been a multi-time entrepreneur, started several companies and every time I do, I love building a company, but I just like you, I more so really enjoy the thrill of the hunt. And once I do a deal and you know close the contract, I really just want to give it to someone else and let them go do it. Even in the sales training, sales coaching world that I live in today, I do love what I, I do. But where I find my motivation, inspiration is having those first conversations and running that through discovery and trying to put together and piece together the solution that that company needs. And then once I've done that, to me, I feel like, well, the work's done. Like someone else can come in and deliver now. But uh, it's just fascinating to talk to entrepreneurs who realize what you said is that you're nothing until you go out and sell something to someone else and create uh, some of that revenue. Well, and I think you have to learn uh, about yourself and what you enjoy the most. I mean, my my cardinal rule is if you don't love what you do, it's work and work sucks. So I always try and make sure that I have my passions aligned with what I do best and what I enjoy the most. And and for me, that's being in an individual contributor sales type of role. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting that has been a giant theme of the conversations that I've had around the sales success stories podcast and talking with folks who are all number one, top 1% type performers is they have also found what it is about them. There's a high degree of self-awareness and understanding of who they are and the value that they bring. And they've just maximized the crud out of it. And that's why they're bringing home gigantic W-2s and sitting at the top of the leaderboard in in their organization. So there's certainly something that, that I'm constantly working to adopt myself. I want to talk, we're going to talk quite a bit about some of the stuff you've learned from guests on your podcast as well. But one of the things, Scott, that you've told me that has led to, you know, some of your successes, both your organization and the process that you run. Talk to me about that process that you run. What is it about that? And and, and I guess, what is the process that's allowing you to have some of the success that you're seeing? I just had a conversation with a podcast guest last week and, and we were kind of working out schedules and trying to figure out the interview. And he says to me, it's like, Scott, I don't know how you do this, right? You've got uh, a f- you've got your own territory that you're managing and you're overperforming in that. You've got a family, you're staying fit, you are managing this podcast, you're building towards this, this event in May. How the heck are you doing this? And I said, you know, it, it all comes down to the way that I'm organized. And this is something that I literally spent years and, and it's, it's never ending, right? I'm always kind of improving this process. But the beginning of it, the core of it was David Allen's getting things done. And so I have a process and and there was another layer on there and another kind of organizational consultant that I worked with. And she had this idea of she was very kind of checklist driven. And if you uh, work in, in some organizations like a restaurant, right, you have this process where you open shop and you have a process where you close shop. And I really adopted this opening shop idea. So I have this process in the morning that I call getting things done loosely based on that. And there's a, basically a check that I work through. And what happens is I clear everything um, out. In, in other words, I'll review. I've got three email inboxes that I manage. So all of those go to inbox zero. And then there's kind of a triage process within that where I have 
an action folder. I also have a waiting for folder. So I'm, I'm managing kind of accountabilities where I'm waiting on somebody else to do something, but I don't lose sight of that. I don't forget that I'm waiting for Jim to send me X, right? And so once I've cleared through everything, I've gone through my inboxes, I've gone through my voicemail, I've gone through my text, I've gone through my notes from the previous day to make sure that I've captured all of my action items and things I need to do. Then I'm looking at my calendar and trying to get a sense of how much bandwidth do I have today? You know, how much time do I have to get things done? Sometimes there's a lot. Sometimes I only have a couple of meetings. I've got a lot of white space in the calendar. I'm going to be able to really crank through a lot of uh, action items. Other times I'm on the road and I've got wall to wall meetings and I'm barely going to be able to keep my head above water. And so that helps me understand what my capacity is. And then I'm going through all of those action lists, both in email and I use another tool called Todoist. And I will pull from that and build the list for today. And again, based on the priorities, the the things that are most important to me that are going to move things forward. And again, based on that capacity. And then once that process is done, and, and then I also, you know, I always confirm all of my appointments and things like that. I, I don't want to waste time waiting on, on a call that's not going to happen. If that's not going to happen, I want to know right now that I'm going to have that time available to do something else. And I want to get it rescheduled and, and just kind of move it forward forward. And then once that process is done, then it's just time to crank. I get up really early in the morning. So typically all of that happens quite early before anything else is coming in and, and bothering me. And that first couple of hours in the day is just when the hair's on fire. I'm I'm cranking through as much as I can. And it's also the way my energy sort of work. I have much more energy in the morning. I tend to crash in the afternoon. So that's not a good time for me to crank through tasks. That's where I put all of my meetings because having conversations, there's a reason, Jim, we're having this conversation in the afternoon because having that dialogue, that will re-energize me as well. So it's just a matter of kind of managing that those energies, that entire process, and I'm able to stay on top of all of it, be super proactive and not get caught off guard by anything. I was following you through most of that, Scott, but when you started with saying you have three inboxes to go through and that you clear that every single morning to inbox zero, I was like, I have two inboxes and I literally can never get to seemingly uh, inbox zero. If I do, it's going to take like two hours. So you can't, and I know you were talking about the different folder systems that you have, but you can't literally be responding to everything. So talk to me maybe more about that. Like, how are you staying on top of all the different, to, you know, you, you even mentioned the tools, but how are you staying on top of all those different action items? It's a daily consistent process, right? It's really hard to get to inbox zero if you're only doing it a couple of times a week, because then you've got hundreds of emails that have piled up, right? So it's for me throughout the day, I'm trying to stay on top of it and sort of triage it. So it's never, it's never a ton, you know, typically when I'm, when I get in in the morning and I'm clearing those inboxes, it's maybe 20 or 30 or 40 emails. It's really not that big of a deal. It's just staying proactive and using that folder structure and then staying focused on these are the things I'm going to do and that I need to focus on, I'm not distracted by all of the other stuff that's sitting below the surface because I know tomorrow I'm going to do another triage and I'm going to make sure that I'm not missing anything critical. And so it just, it kind of frees up the mind space to know my system works. I'm not going to miss anything. So I just don't have that psychic stress that, oh, geez, I'm, I know I'm forgetting something and I'm just worried and I'm going back and looking through systems. It's, it's just being consistent about that process. This is one of the reasons why I love 
having these conversations on the podcast because I learned different things. You know, I've always considered myself a pretty organized person and I try to put systems in place for myself to keep me on a similar wavelength as you. But I finally got to the point I had to hire a personal assistant because there was just so much I could not keep up with it anymore. I was the person, you know, dropping the ball and, and having that stress and anxiety about not getting to the next thing. And it's it's interesting, you know, I, uh, now because I have a personal assistant, it, it almost seems like there's more stuff coming and I'm still kind of getting overwhelmed. So I know it's a me problem and I know it's a process thing that I've got to figure out. So I'm taking some notes here. Uh, I've got some work to do, but I'm going to try to catch up with, with you, Scott. <laughs> you know, it's like I said, it's it's an evolution, right? It's not something that you figure out in a week or, or two. It's something that you have to be really diligent uh, about and, and practice. It, it's again, taken me, this is probably 10 years in the works. We've mentioned your podcast a couple of times, you know, the sales success stories, uh, which I, I've listened to many of the episodes. I love it. You specifically only interview the number one person at companies or the top 1% of people at companies. You've done 34 of these now that you've published. Are you seeing any themes uh, start to develop uh, in, in those interviews? Oh, for, for sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of themes. I mean, some of the most consistent ones are belief is is a really significant one and i mean that in a few different ways right there's belief in the the product and or the solution or whatever it is that you're selling right if you don't believe in your solution there's no way that you can transfer that belief to somebody else and get them excited and and make a sale so you know you've got to be in a position where you believe in what that is but they also believe in themselves there's a there's a lot of confidence that's going on and they believe in their process i mean just like we talked through my organizational process i have a lot of confidence and i know that system is going to make sure that I don't miss things and I can be confident that I'm going to be able to execute on all the things that I need to, that I've decided are a priority for me. One of the things here that you've mentioned is that you encourage everyone to find the things that they believe in, but let's talk maybe specifically to those reps who unfortunately aren't in a role where they have that 100% belief, you know, in their product and maybe belief is too strong a word here for this, but like, what if, you know, there are better products, you, you, you worked for Eloqua, which in my career, there's only been one company that I wished that I would have gone to work for. And honestly, it was Eloqua prior to, you know, probably that 2010 timeframe when they were really just killing it. But, you know, they were competing against Marketo and there was a smaller company called Pardot. Like, what if you are at one of those other companies and you think that another company out there is better, product is better than yours? What do you say to them? How can they still kill it in their company? I think there's two ways to tackle this. One way is figure out if you can find that belief. And and that's the first and best way to do it because it keeps you from having to make drastic changes, right? And I think the best way to do that is go talk to customers. Find the people that are having success with your solution because you know, for whatever reason when we're in sales, you hear all the bad negative stuff and you can get mired in that, but you have to realize that that is just the squeaking wheels uh, around you. That's what's making the noise. There's a lot of success. There's a, gr a lot of great stories out there. Go find those stories. Use that to inoculate yourselves and, and find that passion and find that belief and transfer that feeling and that those successes from those clients to your prospects and others that you're talking to. If you can't get there, if you if you just can't get to a point where you're like, yeah, I'm not confident in this product. I don't know that it actually works. 
life is short, right? And, and careers are long, go somewhere else, you know, go find that better place, go get into the right position because it's a heck of a lot easier when you're selling best of breed. You know, one of, one of the conversations I had was with one of the top folks in all of the Cutco knife organization. And he said, you know, look, if you're, if you can't sell world-class, if you can't be world-class, don't do it. It's it's not worth it. You know, there's no reason why you can't go and be part of that organization and, and part of that contribution. So either find it or move to it, it would be my advice. I like that a lot. I think it's powerful. You said life is short, careers are long. Uh, you know, I've had several people on this show who've talked about if you don't have the right product, if you don't have the right manager, if you're not getting the right, you know, support from your company, the same thing. Life's short, careers are long, go somewhere else, go find it. And we live in a world today where you do have access to all these different things. You can reach out to CEOs of companies, you can reach out to VPs on LinkedIn, on Twitter, you know, you can go to the AAISP local meetups, you should be able to find the opportunities that are going to allow you to, to use your words to be or sell something that's world-class. I like that a lot. Well, and I think the biggest mistakes I've made in my career have been being in the wrong place. You know, at one point I worked for about seven months for a company selling computer hardware to IT professionals, and it was pretty commoditized. There wasn't a lot of like real value creation going on there. That was a mistake, right? I worked for another organization, good organization, horrible leader. And, and it was just toxic and it was a bad deal. And both of those times, I managed to make a move and get out of that situation relatively quickly. But I still feel like I lost a lot of momentum mm-hmm. um, that I had kind of going in my career. So just be mindful of those things. Be really aware. I mean, that's that's another theme that I certainly see with the, the world-class professionals that I talk to. They've got this hyper level of self-awareness. They understand what's going on, the market, the position where they're at, and are constantly evaluating and figuring out, do I need to make a change? And, you know, now that I'm 30 some odd conversations into this thing, looking back over the last nearly year and a half that the show's been going on, there's been a fair amount of movement some to other companies, many into leadership types of roles. So again, you just have to know you, know what's going to align and work best for you. And at at the end of the day, you got to look out for number one. (laughs) Uh, Timing is always impeccable for me on this show. So literally yesterday, my wife resigned uh, from her job and what you just said, it was the thing that I finally got her to believe is that no one no one is going to look out for you more than you. You cannot let anyone else guide your career. You know you want to surround yourself with the best people, but no one is ever going to look out for you more than you. So uh, it's just, again, ironic the time of that. So I hope everybody takes note of that. Scott, I, I, like I said, I've listened to many of these uh, uh, conversations that you've had. One of them actually uh, was on my show recently, Trong, that you introduced me to. What, what led you to, to start uh, this podcast and, and have these conversations? It was really the frustration with traditional sales content, right? So I have been selling for the last decade. I have always been, um, 
all just I, I'm a lifetime learner, right? So I've I've read many books, listened to many books, more recently gotten to a lot of podcasts and other things. But the thing that has frustrated me is it seems like nearly all of the sales content out there comes from quote unquote sales experts who haven't sold anything but themselves in years and oftentimes decades. And so what I felt like, and and Jim, you've been in this space, you've been in the marketing technology space. I feel like having worked in that area for the last eight or nine years, and just to make it easy, let's think of that as a 10-year journey and watching how that has evolved. I mean, it has been a massive transformation. I think sales is about three years into that same 10-year cycle, right? There's about to be this massive proliferation of tools. We're already being disrupted because it's so much harder uh, to get people's attention. There's so much noise. And just selling is different, right? This this is not the same. And if if you were successful 10 years ago selling, I'm not sure that some of those tactics move forward. So I wanted to hear from the people who are right now the best of the best and just get really deep into what the heck is it that you're doing? Of course, I can read a book, but I'd much rather go talk to the guy that sold $5 million worth of SaaS software last year. I just want to know what that guy did. I love that most certainly. I think, you know, when I started my podcast, I had a similar notion. Like I was looking for opportunities to have those conversations with great people. And I was doing it in the real world, whether it being at conferences or whether it would just been coffees or breakfast and things like that. And as I, you know, had four, five, six of these, I'm like, you know what? It, it actually seems kind of selfish that I'm having this conversation over a meal and no one else is able to hear it. Why don't I start recording these and then sharing it with the world? That was kind of the evolution of mine, but it was the same premise of what you're saying in that I'm tired of hearing what you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. In fact, I'm about to redo my, my website that's going to say something to the tune of, this isn't your grandfather's sales training, right? Literally poking fun at the people, as you said, who've done nothing but sell themselves you know, for or or, or uh, you know, sold 10, 15 years ago that are now trying to spout advice. And it, it is frustrating. So um, you're completely right. You talk about that evolution of sales. I would say even the last two years, the stuff that I've seen, the proliferation of tools, to, to your point, it, it's just absolutely asinine. And it's, it's funny when once we do get out of that bubble, hearing what other people are doing when they're still going literally door to door or, you know, they're on the road the entire week, something like that. It's amazing to hear those conversations that aren't happening in B2B SaaS. So I, I encourage all of my listeners to, to go take a look at the sales success stories. Uh, it's definitely great. One of the questions, Scott, that you ask uh, a lot of your guests is, are there any tools out there um, that they use to kind of help manage their, their day or their, their processes? So beyond obviously your CRM, what kind of tools do you have that you just can't live without? I'm a giant Evernote fan. And, and I like... I think the way Google thinks, you know, in, in terms of I don't want to have to folder stuff, stuff and filter it and, and do all of that stuff. Like, let me just search for it because I know sort of what I'm looking for. And I can do that in Evernote. We also talked about Todoist, which is the to do action tool that I use. I don't use it super consistently, but every now and then I use another tool called Pama To Do, um, less for the to do function, more for the Pomodoro 
function. And if you're not familiar with Pomodoro, it's, it's basically just this idea of working in 25 minute sprints and then taking sort of a five minute recovery and chunking your work down in, in that way and just being very, very focused. Uh, you know, I, I use my, my phone as another core tool and I use, um, what is my podcast app? I use Pocket Casts, which is, is amazing to me. I'm actually going to pull this up um, as, as we're talking because it, it has a number of features that I love. One, I'm able to create essentially a playlist of, of what I want to listen to. So once I'm done listening to your show, Jim, then it's going to flip right over to the next thing uh, that I want to, to listen to. But it also has some neat things in terms of it, it, it apparently skips dead space. So if I leave a, a second or two pause, it just skips over that. I'm a big fan of the Tim Ferriss show and it's gotten even worse. I used to have my my uh, pocket cast set where it would start his show four minutes in. Mm-hmm. I need to increase that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't start... <laughs> he doesn't get past commercials until like six minutes. I don't know why he doesn't put them and mix them in, but it, it's this tool allows you per show to choose what your starting point is. So when, as I look at this, I have saved 13 hours by skipping, and that's just skipping 30 seconds at a time. I've saved 13 days using variable speed because I listen at 1.7 or 1.8x. I've saved three days by trimming silence, and I've saved six hours and 37 minutes by skipping intros. So if you love podcasts the way I do and you just want to consume more, Pocket Cast is a, is a great app for that to help you listen faster and apparently save days of your life. I'm sitting here both shaking my head yes and laughing because as you were doing that, I just did this two days ago. I pull, I also use Pocket Cast, so it's it's amazing how uh, similar we are. But I also just pulled it up to say, you know, how much time have I st- saved by skipping variable speed, removing silence, all that? And it is fascinating to see this. So um, I, I think I saw on your your Twitter feed or something like there's a name for it. It's called Pod Faster. So I got to ask, what speed do you listen to your podcast? Yeah, that it was fascinating when I found that because I've been doing it forever. And, and yeah, uh-huh. there is a term for people who listen to their podcasts really fast. I, 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 it depends on the show a little bit. I trend anywhere between 1.7 and like 2.2x. Wow. Okay. So you're going a lot faster than I am. So on audiobooks, I do 1.75 to 2x because, um, and, and I, I learned this from Jay Bear, who has written a, a couple of books, but when you record an audiobook, they tell you, you need to slow down your rate of speech so much that it almost gets uncomfortable for you because that's how you're going to have the best enunciation of all the words. So audiobooks on 1.7 to 2x podcasts, because they're spoken at a real uh, time language uh, speed, I only do it about 1.4, but it's still the same thing, being able to get through them faster. And yes, you're absolutely right. There's a few podcasts besides just the, the Tim Ferriss show that they front load so many different ads. And so being able to use Pocket Cast to say, you know, skip this far into the intro uh, has been fascinating. So for all of you listening to the Sales Tuners podcast, if you want to skip right to it, you want to go to about the two minute mark because uh, that's doing all the intros and, and whatnot for uh, for our show. What I would say is you can train yourself, right? So I didn't start listening at, at 1.8x. And the, that's the beauty of Pocket Cast is you can increment it one tenth of a percent at a time. So start at 1.4 and then every week or two, add it just 1.5, then 1.6, then 1.7 before you know it you'll be there and you won't know the difference. 
Scott, I love this conversation. I knew I would, so I'm glad we're going to have it. But I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Scott, are you ready for the money round? I'm always ready for the money. (laughs) What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? My network and my process. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Talk to as many people as you can. So inside the company, at clients and prospect companies, my peers, and especially the top sellers in the organization and the industry. Two-part question for you. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. Uh, I, I think hating to lose can make you afraid to lose. And you can't be afraid to lose. You, you've got to use that the promise of the win to pull you forward. What's a book, Scott, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I'm getting ready to reread Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, uh, probably the most impactful book that I've read in the last uh, two or three years. And the, the defining thing that came out of that for me is discipline equals freedom. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Scott's suggestion of Extreme Ownership for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. And I will say that Extreme Ownership has been recommended to me at least four or five times. I think, Scott, you might have finally pushed me over the edge and I will cue it up uh, and actually start listening to it this week. Do it. Scott, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Work to become the best version of yourself, right? Figure it out, figure out what it is that works best for you and just do a lot more of that. And the best way to start to figure that out is get some mentors, surround yourself with really great people and just continue to evolve and grow. Now to the personal side, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? (laughs) That one is all about bringing together the most amazing set of sales performers I can possibly assemble in the Sales Success Summit that we'll be hosting here in Austin this May. Scott told me he's putting together an event that I think looks absolutely incredible. Instead of having vendors pitch you on products, he's gathering the top individual sales reps from multiple companies for a two-day conversation in May. To check it out, go to top1summit.com. That's top the number one summit.com. And you can put in a promo code TUNERS and save $150 on registration. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, open and close shop. Airline pilots go through a checklist before taking off. Restaurant managers have a standard operating procedure for each shift. I have checkdowns for the conversations on this podcast. The point I'm trying to make is you should have a routine each and every day that helps you begin and end your work session. Being intentional about the time you have creates your opportunity for success. Number two, be confident in execution. 
To be good in sales, you need to have confidence in your solution and believe it can solve a customer's challenges. But to be great in sales, you have to truly believe in yourself. Your biggest competitor or obstacle is the man in the mirror and the matter that exists between your two ears. To execute at the highest level, you have to get your mind and attitude aligned with your priorities. Number three, go talk to customers. Some of you have listened to all 75 episodes of this show and have been waiting for the secret. Well, here it is. Go talk to customers. I don't mean at them. I mean with them. Get to know why they bought your solution. What did they believe they were actually getting? Where has it fallen short? What do they wish they could do better? Listen intently to the words they use. These stories can help create better conversations with future prospects and translate their enthusiasm into larger commissions for you. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. Forty years from now, what will people be nostalgic for?